Welcome to the September 23rd, 2021 episode of Blood Podcast, your source for innovative ideas and cutting-edge information. Our topics are based on articles published in Blood, a journal of the American Society of Hematology. First on today's podcast, we'll review results of preclinical investigations that sound a note of caution regarding the potential use of JAK inhibitors as treatment for hemophagocytic lymphohistiocytosis, or HLH. Next, we'll review research that provides new insights on how CD44 loss of function sensitizes AML cells to the BCL2 inhibitor venetoclax. We'll conclude with a report that demonstrates cooperation between B-cell receptor signaling and genetic lesions in CDKN2A, CDKN2B, and TP53 in Richter transformation. The first research article is Jack inhibition for murine HLH requires complete blockade of interferon gamma signaling and is limited by toxicity of Jack 2 inhibition by Vandana Chattervedi of Cincinnati Children's Hospital and colleagues. HLH is a hyperinflammatory disorder characterized by elevation of multiple cytokines. It can be inherited, referred to as primary HLH or can be due to acquired disorders such as infection or tumors, referred to as secondary HLH. Interferon gamma plays a key role in the pathophysiology of primary HLH. This insight led to the clinical development and FDA approval in 2018 of emipalumab, an anti-interferon gamma antibody that has demonstrated efficacy in patients with refractory, recurrent, or progressive primary HLH. The central role of interferon gamma in primary HLH also sparked interest in whether inhibiting Janus kinases, or JAKs, could also be a useful strategy, as these tyrosine kinases are essential for signaling by interferon gamma, among other cytokines. Ruxolitinib is a small molecule inhibitor of both JAK1 and JAK2, indicated for the treatment of myelofibrosis, polycythemia vera, and steroid refractory acute graft-versus-host disease. There are promising experimental and early clinical data suggesting that ruxolitinib may be effective in HLH. However, it is important to note that the weight of evidence supporting ruxolitinib has been in secondary HLH, not the familial variety. Based on encouraging early studies with ruxolitinib, Chatterverdi and colleagues sought to better characterize how the drug works in a mouse model of primary HLH. The results were unexpected. The researchers found that intermittently administered ruxolitinib failed to prevent the development of HLH in mice. In addition, intermittent ruxolitinib failed to treat established HLH. High doses of ruxolitinib blocked interferon gamma signaling only transiently after administration, consistent with human pharmacokinetics. Continuously administered ruxolitinib was effective, but only in a narrow dose range. While this was perhaps more encouraging, it is worth noting that ruxolitinib is an oral medication and no option for continuous administration is currently available. Taken together, these results suggest that continuous blockade of interferon gamma signaling is necessary to control HLH. By contrast, intermittent dosing of JAK inhibitors is sufficient to treat myeloproliferative neoplasms. Researchers also found that inhibiting JAK2 may be toxic in this disorder. When they gave intermittent ruxolitinib to mice being treated with anti-interferon gamma antibody, survival was worsened and bone marrow cellularity was decreased. 
By contrast, no such toxicity was observed when they gave the JAK-1 selective inhibitor AZD-4205 to mice being treated with an anti-interferon gamma antibody. When administered as monotherapy, AZD-4205 led to significant improvement in survival in their HLH model. These data demonstrate that the therapeutic utility of JAK inhibitors for experimental HLH may be limited by only intermittently inhibiting interferon gamma signaling with conventional administration schedules. Also, inhibiting JAK2 may exert toxic effects, especially when combined with an anti-interferon gamma antibody. These provocative results are certain to result in further studies to further characterize the impact of JAK inhibitors, including JAK1-specific agents and their impact in different mouse models, especially secondary HLH. Taken together, these findings suggest a need for caution when considering use of JAK inhibitors for patients with HLH outside of controlled clinical trials. Next, let's turn to a research article entitled CD44 Loss of Function Sensitizes AML Cells to the BCL2 Inhibitor Venetoclax by Decreasing CXCL12-Driven Survival Cues by Xiaobing Yu and Lionel Munoz-Segredo from the Karlsruhe Institute of Technology in Germany and colleagues. The experiments described by Yu, Munoz-Segredo, and co-investigators in this paper suggest that CD44 is a potential molecular target that may sensitize AML cells to treatment with venetoclax. The BCL2 inhibitor venetoclax is reshaping the treatment paradigm for patients with AML who are ineligible for intensive induction chemotherapy. Remarkable response rates have been reported for patients treated with venetoclax plus the hypomethylating agent azacitidine. However, about 20% of patients are refractory to this venetoclax-based combination therapy, and a proportion of patients achieving complete remission will relapse due to minimal residual disease, or MRD. MRD is in part related to a population of leukemic cells that are retained in a protective niche in the bone marrow microenvironment. These cells exhibit treatment resistance due to survival advantages conferred by the acquisition of stem cell characteristics. Several pathways mediate the bone marrow microenvironmental resistance of AML cells to treatment. One important component is the cell surface glycoprotein CD44 on AML cells. CD44 binds to the extracellular matrix protein, hyaluronan, among other ligands. Another is the interaction between the chemokine stromal cell-derived factor 1, also known as CXCL12, and CXCR4, the receptor for bone marrow microenvironment-derived CXCL12. In the present study, the authors demonstrate how CD44 and CXCR4 cooperate in a way that results in a promotion of AML cell stemness features and resistance to venetoclax. They show that in vitro CXCL12-CXCR4 signaling, resistance to venetoclax-induced apoptosis and expression of stemness markers are all dependent on CD44. In vivo, they show that the absence of CD44 on AML cells sensitizes them to venetoclax. In human cell lines and AML patient samples, CD44 was involved in promotion of venetoclax-induced apoptosis by CXCL12. This was abrogated by knockdown or knockout of CD44 and use of an anti-CD44 antibody. Using a biomolecular fluorescence assay, 
the researchers were able to demonstrate that CD44 and CXCR4 form a complex at the cell membrane following stimulation with CXCL12. They also showed that in the AML venetoclax resistant cell line OCI-AML3, CXCL12 promoted the proportion of cells expressing high levels of embryonic stem cell core transcription factors, including SOX2, OCT4, and NANOG. Treatment with venetoclax selected for these stem-like AML cells, which had high levels of CD44 expression, and exhibited increased resistance to apoptosis. The researchers developed a novel AML xenograft model in zebrafish, which they used to demonstrate that knockout of CD44 sensitizes OCI AML3 cells to venetoclax treatment in vivo. These findings suggest that CD44 blocking strategies may be a beneficial tool to circumvent or ameliorate resistance to venetoclax, according to Daniela Krauss of Goethe University in Germany, author of an accompanying blood commentary. Anti-CD44 strategies already have been evaluated in preclinical studies in AML, as well as in chronic myeloid leukemia. Going forward, it would be informative to study whether there are any correlations between response rates to venetoclax-based therapies and AML expression of CXCR4 or CD44. It will also be of interest to see if blocking CD44 may have an impact on CXCL12-induced stemness features of AML cells. Krauss likens leukemic stem cells to squatters in the bone marrow microenvironment, the home of normal hematopoietic stem and progenitor cells. Lodging in that niche provides a shelter from external threats such as radiation or chemotherapy. By gaining further insights into the factors underlying resistance to treatments such as venetoclax, it may eventually be possible to hand these squatters their final eviction notice. The final article is entitled B-Cell Receptor Signaling and Genetic Lesions in TP53 and CDKN2A, CDKN2B Cooperate in Richter Transformation by Supriya Chakraborty of the International Center for Genetic Engineering and Biotechnology in Italy and colleagues. Chronic lymphocytic leukemia is a disease driven by a complex interplay between recurrent genetic defects and signals that leukemic cells receive from the microenvironment. The signals that leukemic cells receive via the B-cell receptor, or BCR, have an especially important role in CLL pathogenesis. However, the role of BCR signaling in regulating the proliferation of CLL cells is not as clear. In vitro, malignant B-cells do not proliferate upon engagement of the BCR by the external ligand, in contrast to normal B-cells. Instead, malignant B-cells can be induced to proliferate by other signals from the microenvironment. However, other lines of research have suggested that the BCR may be more directly involved in CLL cell proliferation, at least in a subset of cases. With this background in mind, the authors sought to better characterize the effects of BCR stimulation on expression of cell cycle regulators in human and mouse cells. The investigators found that BCR stimulation induced expression of positive cell cycle regulators. They were surprised to find that this stimulation also induced the negative cell cycle regulators CDKN1A, CDKN2A, and CDKN2B. The presence of certain genetic lesions may reduce the requirement for co-stimulatory signals to drive CLL proliferation. Indeed, this includes deletions of the CDKN2A, 2B locus, 
and mutations or deletions of the CDKN1A regulator TP53. Genetic aberrations of CDKN2A and 2B and TP53 co-occur in about one quarter of cases with clonally related Richter syndrome, an aggressive and poor prognosis B-cell lymphoma arising from transformation of CLL B-cells. Richter transformation occurs in up to 10% of CLL patients and has an estimated overall survival of just 3.3 months. Using CRISPR-Cas9 technology, the researchers introduced inactivating lesions in CDKN2A and 2B and TP53 to downregulate these cell cycle inhibitors. This resulted in more aggressive disease in a mouse CLL model. In vitro, they observed spontaneous CLL cell proliferation that was dependent on BCR signaling but independent of co-stimulatory signals. Next, investigators exposed tumor cells with combined TP53 and CDKN2A and 2B lesions to treatment with B-cell receptor inhibitors and palbociclib, a CDK4-6 inhibitor indicated for the treatment of breast cancer. Treatment with BCR inhibitors included the BTK inhibitor ibrutinib, the PI3 kinase inhibitor idealisib, and R406, the active substance of the SICK inhibitor fostamatinib. These experiments resulted in near-complete growth inhibition, providing further evidence that proliferation was dependent on BCR signals. The CDK4-6 inhibitor palbociclib also inhibited proliferation of the TP53 and CDKN2A2B deficient tumor cells, though combining palbociclib with ibrutinib or idealisib resulted in significantly greater inhibition of leukemic cell proliferation. The work by Chakraborty and co-authors not only provides a functional rationale for genomic alterations underlying Richter transformation, but also points toward a potential therapeutic strategy for this highly resistant and challenging syndrome, according to Christian Palash of the University of Cologne in Germany, who authored the accompanying commentary. While CDK4-6 inhibitors have not been tested in Richter transformation to date, results of a phase 1 study of ibrutinib and palbociclib in mantle cell lymphoma provide a rationale for further study of that combination, according to Palash. In summary, these data by Chakraborty and co-authors provide evidence that BCR signals have a direct effect on regulation of CLL cell proliferation. They also uncover mechanisms by which co-occurring genetic lesions in TP53 and CDKN2A and 2B contribute to Richter transformation. Finally, the results provide a rationale to further explore the combination of BCR inhibitors and CDK4-6 inhibitors in the treatment of Richter transformation or other malignancies characterized by activated BCR pathway and combined TP53 and CDKN2A and 2B abnormalities, such as diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. You have been listening to The Blood Podcast. For a list of additional authors, as well as more detailed articles and commentaries on which this podcast is based, please go to www.bloodjournal.org. Be sure to join us next week for another episode. Thank you for listening.